You're listening to episode 93 of the Master Your Mind, Business, and Life podcast. My goodness, do I have a treat for you today. I love stories that embody self-reliance, perseverance, and continuous personal plus professional development. I would say that today's guest, Laura Briggs, checks off every single item on that list. Laura is a former teacher turned entrepreneur, author, and speaker. She is a military spouse and a PhD candidate in public policy at Virginia Tech. Regardless if you are a freelancer or not, if you need an episode that encourages you to keep going, even when you've been told no multiple times, this one is for you. While you're listening today, if something resonates, share it with me. I'm everywhere on social media at MindBizLife. This episode is sponsored by the Spiritual Seekers Affirmation Deck. This is the deck that I've created with the intention of bringing healing and awakening to the collective. You can use this deck as affirmation cards, oracle cards, or even notes of love to yourself when you are in need of a reminder from the universe. All pre-orders receive free shipping, so to score this pre-order bonus, head over to laurensmithbiz.com and scroll down until you see the pre-order section. Okay, are you ready to meet this week's resilient guest? You know what to do. Tune in, turn it up, let's go. You're listening to Master Your Mind, Business and Life. Conversations with everyday world shifters, truth seekers, and rule breakers. Here's your host, Lauren Smith. Hey everyone, it's Lauren Smith. Welcome back to another episode. Today's guest is Laura Briggs. Laura is a former teacher turned entrepreneur, author, and speaker. Hey, Laura, welcome to the show. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to talk with you. All right. Well, first things first, I have to say congratulations. Your first book, How to Start Your Own Freelance Writing Business, won the Author Academy Awards Best Business Book of 2019 top prize. How amazing <laughs> is that? Um, it was so amazing and unexpected that... I had no idea what I said when I went up to accept it because I had nothing planned and I'm usually pretty good on my feet, but that really caught me off guard. So what an honor. And I'm just still so humbled by that. and So excited by that. Well, now I'm really fascinated by your journey because you went from being a teacher in Baltimore city to becoming an entrepreneur, author, and speaker. And now an award-winning author. Um, so share a little bit of your journey with us. How did this all kind of play out? I always wanted to be a teacher. I really thought that I would end up in traditional education. I went to graduate school right after college. I got my master's degree from Virginia Tech and my husband was in the Navy. Uh, he was my boyfriend at the time, but he was in the Navy. They moved us to Maryland for his third and fourth years of medical school. And then he did his internship in psychiatry at Walter Reed in Bethesda. And so while we were there, I started doing my PhD classes in public policy at night at Northern Virginia's um, campus for Virginia Tech. And I thought, you know what, I should get some more teaching experience here if I'm going to be a professor after I finish. So I entered a program very similar to Teach for America called the Baltimore City Teaching Residency. Essentially, it takes un <laughs> very untrained, uncertified teachers, gives them six weeks of training, and then throws them into very high needs classrooms. And mm. that was a whirlwind of a crazy year and like a lion's just, den I'm oh my sure God. so unprepared and oh. so for me going through that I realized that there were parts of teaching that I loved and then there were parts of being a teacher that I really didn't love at all and so I knew for me 
I've got to switch things up. I cannot, you know, fathom a career doing this for 20 or 30 years to get to retirement. So I've got to come up with something different. And that's where I launched into doing honestly a side hustle as a writer first. Hmm. I like that you went into side hustling. So what made you go from side hustle and what were you doing as side hustling? I guess we should, we should ask first. Yeah. So I started by doing any and any writing project essentially that someone would pay me to do editing resumes. I actually helped several contestants get their paperwork ready for the Miss America competition. What, what their, yeah, what their interview questions would be asked. Um, so I did pretty much everything. I wrote about pages. I wrote website pages and copy and emails because I didn't know what was going to be most in demand. So it was very mm. much a side hustle for extra cash. I left my teaching job. I was working at an insurance brokerage, a traditional kind of like nine to five job. And so I was freelance writing in my off hours. I also did some virtual assistant work as well to get started doing things like research, data entry, administrative assistant type tasks as well. And that's when I really started to see the potential that this could be more than a side hustle. Yeah. What, when did you take that from side hustle to business? I waited a long time. Um, I had no idea what I was doing, number one. So I'd never been self-employed before. Hadn't really thought of myself as an entrepreneur. Wasn't sure I'd be good at it. And I also didn't know if freelance writing was seasonal, right? So like my mom has worked in politics and elections her whole life. Very seasonal occupation that gets right. incredibly busy leading up to an election and then kind of dies down for a while. So I thought I need to chart this for a while, see what income I make every month and see if it's a seasonal thing or if there's a certain type of writing that sells more. So I stayed in my insurance brokerage job for a year after I got started side hustling. Mm, and just to kind of feel out where, where you could kind of leverage it. Yeah. I wanted to make sure that if I made that leap, it wasn't without a safety net, that I at right. least knew kind of what I was doing and I wasn't starting from zero. Hmm. So I know that many coaches, they lean into having, you know, like a long-term, they kind of push away from freelance. Yeah. I have always loved freelance flow. <laughs> I've, it's always been like my jam because I sometimes think I have a short attention span, but, but really yes. I just, I like having my hands dipped into so many different things. So it really feeds, you know, that what I like. But what made you lean into freelancing as your coaching focus? Because that's not, not what a lot of people do. Yeah, exactly. Well, people kept asking me for help and I tried to help as many people as I could for the longest time and really realized that a lot of the things that I was just doing in my business because I had tested them or because I had really thought about the strategy behind it. They weren't things that every freelancer was doing. And so to me, it seemed obvious like, well, yeah, you fire your bad clients. Yeah. You have an ideal client <laughs> yeah. avatar and you measure that person up on the sales call. Like that was news to a lot of people, even experienced freelancers. And so mm. I started thinking like, I also found too, in talking to other freelancers that my sweet spot was helping them get out of jams. So get out of bad contracts, overbearing clients, scope creeping clients, you name it, whatever the problem was. I was really good at coming up with the words or the ways to handle that situation to try to salvage it, or if it couldn't be salvaged, just to get that freelancer out of there with as minimal drama as possible. And so I realized that was a needed service because so many people are like me, they start freelancing and they don't know what they're doing. And so every day is uncharted territory and you're just making the best decision that you can in the moment. But if you have someone guide you through that, you can avoid some of the more painful things. 
especially someone who is really good with words because I'm sure sometimes when someone's in a pickle and they're just not sure how to word it correctly, or, you know, maybe you're like, "Mm, that's not the right tone you should use to kind of keep it at bay. You know, it can really be a, a powerful skill to have. Yes. And even to decide the way in which you share those words, what instances Mm. are worth a phone call? What can we deal with over email? If you get a text from a client, do you respond via text or some other way? And I think that we underestimate how the psychology of words and how we disseminate those words can really affect other people. And so that's definitely one of my sweet spots. You know, I worked in law firms for many years. Um, My research in my PhD program was all about family court, which is notoriously, you know, people arguing back and forth and strategizing with each other. And so I credit a lot of my familiarity with human psychology with that. And it comes up a lot in running a business. Mm, I love that. That's so interesting. Yeah, yeah I really <laughs> love that. Um, so rolling on with, with freelancing, because there are so many people listening right now who I know are either freelancers, you know, on that side hustle, um, or maybe they're an entrepreneur who even started as a freelancer, kind of doing the same thing that, that we did before going full business. What would you say to them if they're kind of like, I'm, I'm not sure this is for me or uh, this is sometimes too hard or, you know, they just have a lot of doubt in it. There's no doubt that it's hard. It's always going to be hard in one way or another. You might have a great three months and then a month that just really makes you question doing this at all. The important thing with running a business is consistency. It's showing up every day. It's recognizing when you have a problem, whatever that is, trouble bringing in clients, you're just not feeling excited by your work and figuring out what are the resources I have at my disposal to work through this problem? You know, what can I figure out on my own? What podcasts can I listen to? Do I need to hire a coach? You know, you always have avenues available to you to help fix things. And so I think that's really important. A lot of people who do well with freelancing, I like to say, if you were the person in college or grad school who actually did the group project and got (laughs) frustrated with everyone else who didn't, you will be great as a freelancer because you meet deadlines, you pick up the slack for other people when necessary, and you're self-motivated. And those are essential skills to have as a freelancer. Oh, I was so that kid in college. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. We all know you were either in one camp or the other. So two types of people. (laughs) Yeah, you couldn't even have your foot in both. Like it was it was all in or all out. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Yeah, I hated those types of projects too. Because it's just like, come on, y'all, get it together. (laughs) My husband's in grad school now after going to medical school first, and they never did really group projects in medical school. And he gets so frustrated with his classmates. And I'm like, honey, this is just life. This is college and grad school. This is what you go through. It's it's a rite of passage, okay? (laughs) You can do it, sweetie. (laughs) You got this. You know, I read in one of your posts that 32 agents and 17 publishers, right? Did I get those two right? 32 and 17? They said no to your book. Clearly, that didn't stop you from pushing forward. Can you tell us what that whole process was like? Yes. I like to consider 2018 
the year when a lot of really good stuff happened, it was also the year of rejection. So Mm. I knew that I was trying to sell a book. I had gone to writing conferences. I had pitched a literary agent, a young adult fiction book, which she just tore apart. And that was really like, I had to regroup after that. Like, okay, what am I going to do now if that doesn't work? And I was trying to get TEDx talks. I was rejected for 91 of those before I received five invitations. And so I was doing all this at the same time, pitching literary agents, applying to TEDx talks. And so I got my agent in May of 2018 and it was just a perfect fit. And, um, she said, you know, it's a really hard time to sell a book in the summer. Everyone's out of the office. She goes, but I'm going to start selling now and then I'll keep you updated with how it goes. And so she would always forward me rejections and people who were interested because a lot of times they had really good feedback in there, but that's how I know how many times I got rejected, rejected because she would forward it to me like, Hey, this just isn't right for me. Or I don't like the writing style or Laura's platform is too small. But even in that sting of rejection, it was helpful to like pull those little pieces out there of, okay, we need to do a better job either fixing this problem or uh, building a bigger platform so that I can help get that opportunity. And so I, we didn't give up. And in fact, the book we were trying to sell did not sell at first. Um, It only sold two months ago. So a proposal that I wrote at the end of 2017 was essentially dead. My agent pitched it all over the publishing world. And if your agent pitches it and can't sell it, your option left is to self-publish. So I had that book ready to self-publish. And after the publication of my first book, the publishing house I worked with came back and said, hey, is Laura still interested in writing that other book? And so it, it's a, it's an amazing lesson in that rejection. Yeah. Rejection is not the end of the road, right? Cause that mm. book deal was totally dead. I was ready to self-publish and now that book is going to come out in October, 2020. So I got wow. to write another book first, have a great experience. Now I'm writing two more. So don't, don't give up. Right. And it was the same thing with the TEDx talk, so much rejection, but learn from it, learn from what feedback people give you and get better. I love that you are such an opportunist in this way. Like this has just shown, like shine through this entire conversation, the way that you were, even as a freelancer, figuring out, okay, what do I need to do? What is working? What's not working? A lot of people miss these critical steps of just taking a step back, taking in the feedback and then taking action on it. Like so many people miss these steps and you are just crushing it. Well, I think too that the most maddening type of feedback you can get is none at all because Mm. what can I do with that, right? Like if you just say no, but I don't know why, then I'm not sure if there's something critically wrong with what I'm trying to achieve or if you just weren't the right person. So whenever someone takes that extra time to give you even one sentence of feedback, and it's not always valid, right? But a lot of times it is, you know, take that to heart and see like, okay, what can I shift about what I'm doing to increase my chances of success here? Some things just take a certain amount of time. It's just not your time yet. It's about meeting the right people. And so you have to remain patient with it, but don't take it too personally when you do get pieces of feedback. Because for me, it was like, if someone at Random House is writing back why they didn't accept my book this time around, it would take me a miracle to have a conversation with a person from Random House Publishing Company otherwise. So I'm going to take this email for what it is, which is valid feedback from an expert in the industry. Oh gosh. I had a website design one time and the guy was like, I don't know why I don't like it, but I don't (laughs) like it. And I'm like, 
can you tell me what you don't like you know like and it's so hard then because then you're just sitting there like okay well this is exactly what we talked about you know so I'm like exactly I'm a little you know not sure what's going on and it's so tough so you're right even even if it's just feedback that kind of stings it's like okay let's let's move forward because it's you can't let your your emotions get too heavy into it no, because there's, and being a business owner in general, you're going to hear the word no a lot. I mean, it's probably been thousands of times that someone has said I was too expensive, not experienced enough, just not the right person for the job. And so I think years of working for myself had kind of primed me to not take rejection. So personally, I see a lot of newer business owners really struggling with that. They'll be like, oh, well, I pitched 10 clients and no one hired me yet. And I'm like, okay, let me know when you get to a hundred. Like there's something wrong with your pitch when you have a hundred and we haven't heard back, but 10 is nothing, right? Like you, 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 it's right. a numbers game to an extent. So that's important to keep in mind as well. Yeah, absolutely. And And speaking of like being rejected, especially if I know you said um, you're rejected because your platform was too small. Sometimes when we're switching roles professionally, that does require us to kind of start over, uh, especially when it's a whole new arena. That also requires a lot of strength and personal power. And it can sometimes cause things from the ego to arise like imposter syndrome. Has imposter syndrome ever played a role in your business? Yes. And it happened at the strangest time. Um, it was in the two weeks before my book launched. My book launched on July 16th, 2019. And in the two weeks before I did nothing to market the book. Now I'd been working for six months leading up to that point, you know, promoting it in podcasts, restarting my own podcast, doing content marketing, partnering with influencers. So I had done a ton of work and for whatever reason, something about the book finally coming out after this long process was like, I questioned everything about myself. I thought I'm a fraud. The book isn't good. If someone finds a grammar error in there, I'm going to, I'm never going to hear the end of it. Like what if people hate it? And I get a bunch of one star reviews. It was like all the negative, you know, nasty little gremlins <laughs> popping up. And so I really did have to step back from working on any marketing of my book around those two weeks so that I could focus on working through that. Um, because I was like, if someone calls me to do an interview or this, you know, I get a great opportunity to talk about my book. I don't want to blow it because I'm in this fear space of it not being good. So I knew I had to fix that before doing anything else. Mm, how did you move through it? What was your process? Well, one of my favorite things to have, and I think everyone should have it, is an evidence list. And this, for me, is a living Google Doc where I add in anything I've accomplished. So it can be outright accomplishments like I landed a TEDx talk. It can also be that client who writes back to me in an email, thanks for this, it's amazing, love your work. It can be feedback that's left for me on Upwork. It can be my coaching client who sends me a quick message that you know they were able to salvage a $20,000 deal that was falling apart. Like It's any piece of evidence that I can use to refute those little gremlins saying, you're not good enough, you're mm. a fraud. You know, When you have a list in front of you that's like, 50 or a hundred things long, all awesome stuff that either you've done or other people have said about you. It, and you start reading through it and really internalizing that it's so much easier to shut down those other voices. Yeah. Especially sometimes when you're just in like generator mode and you're just pumping out things, it can be very easy to go through life and 
earn these accomplishments, but not really soak in the the praise for them. Give yourself that praise for them and just really be like, yes, I did that. I'm, I am good enough. This is under my belt. I am worthy. Like sometimes we do need that reality check. Yeah. And we forget the celebration so often, Mm -hmm. especially in the world of business. We often put in a lot of sweat equity and things behind the scenes that other people don't see. And so we build it up to this point of like, okay, well, when my book is launched or when my website goes live, or when I sell this $10,000 offer, everything's going to be perfect. And then what you really find in doing these things is that it's about the journey, right? Like the book for me was not about publishing the book. It was about the journey of getting to that point and not giving up when so many people said no, or when publishers said that freelancing is a fad, you know, it was, that was really what it was about for me. And I think we've got to stop to remember to celebrate things when you do it and record it, right? It's, it's as simple as like someone sends you that nice email, screenshot that, throw it in your evidence list. And you don't need the evidence list every day, but the days that you do need it, <laughs> you pull that yeah. up and you'll be so thankful that you took that extra time to record those little things. Mm, it's like love nuggets to yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yes. yes, exactly. What would you, if you had one piece of advice for someone right now in life, no matter where they are in any situation, what would you say to them? Well, if you have a dream to do something, don't necessarily get locked into the idea that it has to be done a certain way. I know for me, when I first started out in the world of learning about publishing a book, there were a lot of people who just told me, this is going to be really hard. You're going to get rejected a lot and it's probably not going to happen. And, you know, agents receive a thousand queries a year and most agents take on two authors a year. So it's not going to happen. And so for me, it was about like, okay, maybe I don't need to go the path that everyone else is telling me to go. Maybe I'll try to do something a little bit different. So if if other people are telling you that something is hard, it's going to be an uphill battle, you know, reflect on that. Is it something where you're willing to stick through that uphill battle? Is there a shortcut that maybe other people have missed? Can you go about things in a very different way? Like when we had conversations with my publisher the first time around, even they felt like my platform was too small. And so I was on the phone with them and I said, watch me hustle. If you give Mm -hmm. me this book deal, I said, I will get TEDx talks. I will secure so many media features. I will work this all year long. And they saw that I didn't just talk that talk, but they were willing to go that different route, take a, take a chance on someone who is kind of an unknown. And when they you know, when they saw how that kind of panned out and how the book sold and everything that led to future opportunities to work together. So I like to say you can negotiate anything. So if someone's telling you it's going to be hard, a long road, it's never going to work. Think about whether or not there's another path that you might have to carve out on your own. Mm, Great advice. I love that so much. I have to ask, have you already done your TEDx talk or is this in the works still? I did two this last year in 2019. So I did one in January in Pennsylvania and I did one in April at Georgia Tech in Atlanta. So both are about freelancing and how it's changing the workforce, but they are slightly um, different because each one has to be, you know, completely unique. So similar, but not exactly the same. Beautiful. What was that experience like? Oh my goodness, crazy. If you've never memorized (laughs) something that's 15 minutes long and had to deliver it on stage under bright lights, you will will question your brain. Your brain will be like, we can memorize like three minutes, Laura. That's that's about it. But it's not true. If you practice enough, you really can get that down. So for me, that was an exercise to push myself and grow. And, And I'm really glad that I did it. And I 
have had so many positive interactions with people who've seen my TEDx talks or who were there live. And I think it's inspiring other people to consider freelancing. And for mm. me, that's, that was the whole point of doing it. So it's great to be a part of that. A win-win. Yeah. Mm. I know our audience is going to want to know more about you and your services and just connect with you further. Where can they go to do so? Well, my website is betterbizacademy.com and there you'll also find my podcast, Advanced Freelancing, which is a weekly show with tips for intermediate and experienced freelancers to scale their business and get more of their time back. Good stuff, Laura. I just love the work that you're doing and you have such great energy. Thank you so much for sharing with us today. Well, thank you for having me. It was so good to speak with you. I feel like I could have talked to Laura all day. Seriously, she has the best energy. For direct links to Laura's social channels and website, head over to this week's episode notes found on mindbizlife.com. Don't forget to share this episode with a friend or on social media. When you share, you help get this podcast into the homes, cars, and earbuds of many. Also, if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to give the podcast a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you tune in and turn it up. I'll be back on Friday for another episode of Fuel Your Life Friday. But if I don't catch you then, I'll see you back here next week. Until then, remember, every level of life is an opportunity to grow. Be well, my friend.